And you know what's interesting? I, I really didn't plan it this way as I was preparing my message this morning and thinking about uh, what Jude had to say for us. Um, last time we met, we talked about hell. And we, we looked at how the Bible described hell and the, the purpose uh, for us learning about hell was one of the, the main purposes is that we understand and, and it's to put the fear in us. Uh, the fear to walk away from a life that's displeasing uh, to God. And I was thinking about a couple of stories. And as I said, it, it was interesting uh, that the Pitsons are here this morning. I had uh, had a gentleman one day stop at my house. And I was just outside. And uh, a, a couple of times, anytime you own a, a, a jacked-up four-wheel drive truck, you got people inevitably going to stop by and ask you to pull something it doesn't matter you know they they just they see it and it's all you know I've, I've had several occasions to to hook my chain to something and pull it just because they thought I could and this gentleman stopped at my house and and had asked me if I could come help him he said his vehicle was stuck in the ditch and um and I told him I, I would do that so I grabbed the chain and we headed up and and we went up happy home road just a little ways and his vehicle was off in the ditch I mean, just completely off in there sideways, and I helped him get it pulled up. Well, about the time we got it pulled out of the ditch, uh, a police officer pulled up. And he got out of the vehicle, and he come up there, and, and the first thing he asked was whose vehicle it was. Well, I'm standing there waiting for this gentleman to, to tell him it was his, his vehicle, and, and he just kind of stood there like he was waiting for me to say it was my vehicle. And I just kind of looked at him. He said, well, it ain't mine. I don't even have a driver's license. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And so, anyway, the, the police officer's like, well, I, you know, we, we had a report of a car driving crazy fast down through here and this and that. And the guy said, well, it wasn't me. He said, I don't even have a driver's license. told him several times, I don't even have a driver's license. And uh, to make a long story short, when, it, when we got kind of to the end, and I said, listen, I, I was he- asked to help pull this car out of the ditch. That's all I have to do with any of this. And uh, he, he looked at this gentleman, and the, and the police officer told him, he said, you need to get in the vehicle, you need to drive it home. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He just told you he doesn't even have a driver's license, and you're going to put him in the vehicle and let him leave here. After driving the way he drove, and I, I, I think that was probably one of the first times, and I have the, the utmost respect uh, for our, our police officers. I do love them. I, I think they have one of the hardest jobs in the world, and, and I have the utmost, but I, that was the first time I believe I was ever really disappointed in a police officer. There was another time that my wife received a phone call from somebody and, and in this conversation, as this person was talking to my wife, uh, she was like talking normal to her, but she kept throwing little, little, little codes to her that something was wrong. She's like, oh, how are you doing, Melissa? Call the police. You know, oh, it's good to talk to you. Call the police. And uh, so anyway, come to find out there was a person in their house that was completely whacked out on drugs. I mean, just was freaking out they was you know people was after her they was trying to take her stuff and and she was going to kill i mean she had just talking craziness out of their head and, and the police showed up at their house 
and they escorted this, this person out of the house, put them in their car, and escorted them out of the county. They were high as a kite. That was the second time I was disappointed with our police. And you know, the purpose of justice is to put fear in us. Uh, the, the purpose of knowing about things that are going to happen, the, the, the knowing uh, of these hardcore uh, uh, problems is that we don't do those things. Now, it, it was funny because last night as I was kind of walking through the house, the TV was on. A lot of times the TV's on just for noise, uh, but uh, live PD was on. And, and I've never sat down and watched a whole live PD, but I could see where it could become addictive. And, uh, but they had, they had a, a situation where, there, where this 12-year-old boy had stolen his grandma's vehicle. And the police stopped him. Well, they come over and they began to tell, you know, the viewers what was going on. And they said, listen, this is the second time this has happened. This 12-year-old boy stole his grandma's car. The first time he stole grandma's car, grandma didn't want to press charges. Didn't want there to be any problems. So what did he do? He did it again. Because there was no recourse. There was no consequences. There was no, no, nothing going on. So he had no fear of any punishment. And the police officer said, and grandma doesn't want to press charges this time. They said, so we're going to press charges on grandma for child endangerment. You know, we saw this over and over and over and over again when we were in the foster system. And many of you know, years ago, my wife and I had had fostered several children um, two of which we had intentions of uh, adopting. That was the whole purpose of us getting into the foster system um, <clears throat> was that we could adopt this brother and sister. The sister was best friends with my daughter. And I, had, I, I knew that this was not going to be easy. I knew that there was going to be a lot of, a lot of fight in the situation we were told that she had a brother and was asked if we would adopt him also to which we agreed that we would and we brought them into our home and it was as hard if not harder than I ever dreamed it would be and Brandon beautiful kid we would see sides of him we would see his heart I would see skills in him. I, I saw so much potential in this young man. But Brandon had a violent temper. Violent temper. One time I received a phone call that he had attacked a kid at school and just beat him mercilessly. Just beat him. The, the kid didn't even defend himself, and Brandon just beat him. 
And the problem was is that there was never any consequences. They would haul him off to juvie for a day or two, and then he was back home. There was never any, any recoil. There was nothing ever happened. Nothing ever came of it. And we had a lot of problem with Brandon. We had a lot of problem with Brandon. Now, Emma, we had other problems, but it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't ever violence, but Brandon had a violent temper. And the final straw, one day, Brandon became very agitated at my wife, and he threw a chair at her and came at her, and she locked herself in a back room and called the police. That's what they told us to do. We're not allowed to touch them. I was away from work. I was out of town. I was in, in, on the east side of the state and out of town. And She called me and told me what had happened, and after he had attacked her, he ran away from home and had not come home. And It was, it was a, a cold winter day, and he had left with nothing but a T-shirt on. I told her, I said, he will come home when he gets cold. He'll come home when he gets hungry. I said, and when he does, just call the police. That's all you can do. Well, I came home that night, and he had not made it home yet. And during the night, uh, we had one of those motion lights. I seen the light come on and then instantly go back off. I told Melissa, I said, he's home. to which he broke into the basement, snuck in down there, and, and we called the police, and they came, and they hauled Brandon off. That was the last time Brandon was in our home. They took him out of our home. We ended up adopting Emma, and Brandon was emancipated out of the system, out of the foster system, when he was 17 years old. And continued on his way. I seen Brandon a couple of other times after our time with him. And both times he was just as high as he could be. In trouble. Needed help. Broke down. Needed money. Needed something. And I did the best I could do to try to love on him. Brandon eventually got into some real trouble. He did some extreme vandalism and ended up in prison for a very short time. Found out he didn't like prison. Juvie wasn't near as bad as prison was. And, and Brandon, was a, he was a scrappy little man. He was wiry, muscled up little kid. I mean, he was, he was a fighter. But I think he found out prison was more than he wanted. Brandon got out of prison and decided that he wanted to make a change in his life. But it was too late for Brandon. Brandon had done messed with the wrong people. Four and a half years ago, Brandon disappeared. We've never seen him again. And all I can think is, what if? What if? What if they had given them real consequences? 
What if they had dealt with his violence instead of just letting it going on and on and on and letting him get away? There was, he was not afraid of the system at all. None. Zero. What if they would tell us that you're not allowed to discipline him, you're not allowed to touch him, you're not allowed to spank him, you're not allowed to do any of these things? I remember sitting one of the the DFS workers down after one of those times that my wife had almost had a nervous breakdown because of things that was going on. I remember, and I I know it it was not the DFS worker's fault. I know that. I know it's, it's bigger than her. But my anger and my frustration, and I looked at her and I said, you created this monster. This system created this monster. You know, I may sound barbaric, but I believe that we should bring back public executions. I do. I I believe that with all my heart. I believe that instead of putting people in prison who are on death row for 20, 30 years, what is that? If you're convicted, if you're found guilty in 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 a reasonable amount of time, especially when there's no doubt. I believe... That when you're caught in a crime, that the punishment should be swift and severe. When we were getting ready to to ship out for the Middle East to head over to Iraq and Saudi Arabia, one of the things that they warned us before we ever got on the plane was this. They said, listen, if you get in trouble in Saudi Arabia, if you get in trouble in Iraq, if you get in trouble in one of these Middle Eastern countries, you need to understand something. If you get caught doing something... They will punish you before the U.S. government can be involved. At a minimum, you will receive a public flogging, depending on the severity of your crime. If you're caught stealing, they will amputate your hands for you. It made you... Dot your I's and cross your T's. It put that fear in you. The problem with the, our, our judicial system today is, is that, that sometimes these prisons are, are no more than, than just a country club. They can go out and they can work out or they can watch TV or they can play basketball or... So today, we're going to look at Jude's description of judgment of these apostates. Jude chapter, or Jude 14 and through 16 is what we're going to look at today. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, 
the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to con- convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Enoch. Now last time we spent the entire service, as I had mentioned, by way of introduction to this section, looking at what the Bible had to say about hell. We also talked about this prophecy that Jude mentions of Enoch was not found in our canonized books of the Bible. In other words, you will not find this prophecy anywhere in your Bible. But it was found in a book called First Enoch. But the prophecy was legitimized by God when it was included in this letter of Jude. So it is just as real and just as uh, legitimate as any prophecy that you would read throughout any other place inside of the Bible. As a matter of fact, this was the second prophecy of Christ's coming. The first being in Genesis, and then we have this prophecy here. Now, we learn some very important facts when we look at this prophecy of Enoch of a future judgment. The first that we look at is he says, Behold, the Lord cometh. Now, the way that this was worded, the way that Enoch had worded, the words that was used right here, it implies that Enoch's vision was so intense and so startling when he saw this that he spoke as if it had already happened. The words that he used, it was as if he had already seen the judgment come. In other words, you can take this to the bank. It's going to happen. I saw it happen. I saw it take place, is what Enoch is implying. James 5, 9, the last part of verse 9 says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door that's what Enoch saw he saw the judge coming now the first thing that we learn from Enoch's prophecy is this the Lord himself will do the judging Jesus himself will do the judging. John 5.22 says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. John 5.27 says, And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And Matthew 16.27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And when... Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And although 
Jesus will do the judging, Enoch teaches us that he will not come alone. He will not come alone. He will come with myriads of his holy ones. Now, commentators disagree on who these holy ones are. And I'm going to give you both sides, and I'm going to tell you which side I fall on, and I'll tell you why I fall on that side. Some believe that this is speaking of believers, Christians, that when he comes back, that he will bring us with him during this time of judgment. And that's possible. Um, Zechariah 14.5 says this, You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. The Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And then Revelations 19.14 says this, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Now others believe that these holy ones are speaking about angels. Um, now, I fall into this category. I believe that this is, is speaking of angels, and I will tell you why. Matthew chapter 13, verses 38 through 43 say, And the field is the world. This is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the field is the world. As for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. And those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, As I said, these verses in context are about the wheat and the tares, which goes exactly with what Jude has been teaching us, is that inside of the church you have true believers and you have the the apostate believers, the apostate teachers, who are the tares, who are the false, who have been placed inside of the church by Satan himself. Now... I believe when Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, he will execute judgment. And the angels will carry out that judgment. The Antichrist and the false prophet will also be cast into the lake of fire. And the devil, he will be bound for a thousand years. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. If I can find it here. 
and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believe our testimony to you. Now listen, the Bible teaches that believers will have a role in judging during the millennial kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6.2 says this, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest of matters? And then also in Revelations 2, 26 through 27, it says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Now, we also learned that this judgment will be universal and that it will be public. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46 says, But when the Son of Man comes, this is His coming, in His glory, and all the angels with Him, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as, he, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and we feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, unto the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they said themselves also, will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer to them, truly I say to you, 
to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away unto eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Luke 8, 17 says, For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light, and it will be made known to all. Luke 12, 2 and 3 says, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. This judgment will be universal and it will be public. This judgment will be on the ungodly. Ungodly was used four times in one verse. I don't know if you noticed that. Four times in one verse, Jude used the term ungodly, which includes the apostates. Now, the word translated convince, and some of yours translations say convict, literally mean to expose, to rebuke, to prove guilty. Listen, what that means is there will be no debate, there will be no witnesses, there will be no rebuttal, there will be no defense. Kind of like a house impeachment trial. Except there will be undisputed evidence of all the crimes and the sins of the ungodly. That's the difference between the two. Romans 2.5 says this. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart... You are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. His judgments will be righteous. It will be right. Because as they sin, they are storing up. God is keeping track. Nothing will be left unpunished. And this specifically speaks of their crimes against God, against God himself. They have no reverence for God, none. And the apostate teachers have no reverence towards God. Look at verse 16 with me one more time there. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These. So now, once again, Jude brings us back, and, and, and he pulls his scope in so that we understand that he is talking once again about the apostate teachers. First, he calls them murmurs. Now, murmurs, what this is saying, (coughs) this term was used once before as it talked about Israel murmuring against God. You brought us out here to die. When we were in Egypt, we had the best of the best. 
Nothing but milk and honey when we was in Egypt. They gripe against God. They gripe against God's law. They gripe against God's will. They gripe against God's word. Always, the Bible's outdated. It needs to be updated. It needs to, to fit our times a little better. Or his law is unfair. That, that can't mean what it says because that's unfair. Or it just doesn't apply to us today. And they explain away every verse. They explain away every word of God that they don't like or that they disagree with or that interferes with their lifestyle. And so they rebel. And then he calls them complainers. Now this is a little different term here. We've been around somebody who always complains. I say they have the Eeyore syndrome. Nothing ever goes right. Nothing. But this is towards God. Everything is towards God. They're always complaining. They are never content. They are never satisfied with where they are. They constantly compare. Why is he healthy and I'm sick? Why does he have more money than I do? Why did she get the better looking spouse? More money? Better health? A bigger church? You guys quit looking around. (laughs) Who got a better looking spouse than me? (laughs) And listen, this is the thing. All they have to do is convince you that you should not be content where you are. All they have to do is convince you either by teaching roses without thorn theology or the mountaintop Christianity is it's never good enough. They complain, they complain, they complain because it's never good enough. Aren't you thankful that Jesus and the apostles who were beaten, thrown in prison, and ultimately martyred didn't believe in this complaining theology? Hmm. Walking after their own lusts. Walking after their own lusts. You know, in the end, it's all about them. In the end, it's all about what pleases their own selfish, fleshy desires. Whatever it is, it's always about them. And then Jude says that they like to use 50-cent words. You ever heard that term? Boy, that's a 50-cent word. I'm going to use it more around here. They use 50-cent words to impress and to wow you with their knowledge. They want you to think that they are smarter than they really are so that they can tell you what they want to tell you and you're going to believe them because, man, they're way smarter than I am. They used a lot of big words. Half of them I didn't understand. And so they have to prove that they're smart so that you'll believe their lies.
And then Jude says that they flatter you with words by telling you what you want to hear. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And why do they do that? So that they can manipulate you for their own gain. They tell you what, they, what you want to hear so that you will write a check and send it to them. It's for their own gain. Don't you just think, I look at, I look at some of these false teachers and these false um, preachers on TV, and I think, how long, Lord? How long? Because some of these are so outrageous and so blasphemous, some of the things that are taught to millions of people. How long? Psalms 94 Verse 3 and 4 says, How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? <laughs> they pour out arrogant words. All, evil, all evildoers are full of boasting. And I'm going to close with the answer, which is found in Psalm 50 and verse 3. Our God shall come, and he shall not keep silent, and a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Would you stand to your feet? And I know over the past couple of months if we've looked at these false teachers and these false apostles this is the thing I don't want you to worry about being deceived by these I want you to be able to recognize false teachers and recognize false teachings and next week Jude is going to talk to us how to avoid being deceived by these false teachers father we thank you God as we we come to the end of this book of Jude, God, you have never made any subject more clear than you have in the book of Jude with these false apostates. You have never made more revealing to us, God, how to recognize these false teachers. You have never sent out a more urgent message than we have heard from the book of Jude. And God, I believe that it is never more timely than it is at this time in history. And God, may our eyes be open. May we be willing, God, not to take everything that we hear as the gospel, but God, that we are willing to put in the effort, to put in the time to check everything that we hear to make sure that it is true to your word. And God, that we're willing to walk away when a teacher begins to teach those things, God, that blatantly go against the word of God. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, I pray you go with us as we travel home. Give us rest this afternoon. 
And God, bring us back once again prepared to hear your word and to learn and to receive. Bless us as we leave now, and we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.